Beyond Radley. Business, careers, and more. Virtual talks by experts from our community. Good afternoon and a warm welcome to all Radley students and parents and any school partners who have joined us today on Zoom. My name is Caroline Monaghan and I'm responsible for our new Beyond Radley Career Speaker Programme, a series of talks designed to give you a live insight into the world of work. Over the coming weeks, we'll bring you a variety of speakers from the Radley Network who help you to better understand the types of careers available to you and the early steps into those careers. We'll also bring in speaker experts who will talk to you about the transferable business skills that you will need to develop to help you move between jobs and careers in the future. We aim to run three of these Beyond Radley Career Talks a week for the next four weeks, and then it's likely the programme will continue longer term as part of our careers offering. Now, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Charlie Goodwin, old Radleyan. He left Radley in 2010 and went to Durham University to study economics. Following on from that, he did his law conversion course and then started as a trainee solicitor at Simmons and Simmons in London. After two years, he's now qualified and he's now an associate in their dispute resolution team. Charlie's experience means he's very well placed to talk about the early pathway to becoming a lawyer, how competitive it really is and what steps you can take to succeed. He's also a keen hockey player and heads up the old Radley and hockey team known as the Galleons. So, Charlie, I'm going to hand over to you now. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you um, very much, Caroline. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thank you very much for joining. Um, hopefully that introduction gave you a little bit of a background as to me. And I, I will go over sort of more my routine. And the way I sort of envisage this uh, talk going is I'll um, talk you through a little bit about um, what being a lawyer in England and Wales is like um, and, and sort of different paths you can go down. Talk a little bit more about my route into law, which um, went not in a straight line to say the least. There were a few bumps along the way and uh, a few different turns that, that have got me to where I am today. Um, and then at the end of that, um, hopefully we can, if you've got any questions, we can, we can run through those. So I'm just gonna share my screen now. So quickly, just to run through, um, in England and Wales, um, which is the jurisdiction which uh, those two countries sit in. There are two types of lawyers, and I apologize to anyone who already knows this, um, but I think it's really important just to um, set this out before we start. Now, the two types are solicitors and barristers. Um, now, for those who have no idea, uh, if you've ever watched a TV program and you've seen a lawyer wearing a silly wig, they are usually barristers. Um, in actual real life, barristers very rarely wear wigs. Um, it's sort of seen as a bit of a um, a no-no amongst barristers, um, which is quite an interesting <laughs> in one. Um, so we have two types, as I say, solicitors and barristers. Um, so starting with solicitors, um, they are the sort of, uh, the, to use a medical term, they are the sort of GPs within the law world. So they carry out the day-to-day -day work uh, with a client um, and they work directly from the start of any matter you might work on. Because of this, they can be involved in a, although you specialize, you can be involved in a wider variety of matters. Um, and the reason for this is because solicitors do contentious and non-contentious work. Now, for those who don't know, contentious is effectively where people are fighting with each other. Um, so for example, if uh, you have a contract um, where someone says, I will do this, um, and they don't eventually do that, and the other side goes, well, hold on, you didn't do that. Let's have a fight about it that's where the contentious work comes in for lawyers. And then on the other side of this, they also do non-contentious work, which is uh, things like advice. So if you're buying a house, um, a solicitor would give you advice on how to, to buy your house and what to look out for and the different searches through to, if you have a company and one company wants to sell, their, you know, they're being sold and another one wants to buy them, you have solicitors working on either side of the deal there to make it happen. So obviously in that case, you're not fighting, you're working together. Um, and the big difference between solicitors and barristers is you work as a solicitor, you work as part of a team. Um, so I'm a solicitor. So I work for, as Caroline said, a firm called Simmons and Simmons. And um, you, you sort of, when you're working on a legal matter, there's probably about three or four of you working together um, on the matter. Now, moving on to barristers, um, as I said, you know, they're the ones on TV you see wearing the wigs and they stand up in court. I mean, that is the big real difference. Although solicitors can Barristers do all the advocacy work. Um, so they're the ones who stand up and they will argue your case within a court to a judge. 
So because of that, um, they have to possess specialist knowledge. So the, going back to my medical analogy, they are sort of the specialist surgeons. So they're sort of the heart surgeon um, or the, you know, the um, brain surgeon or whatever. So they have real specialist knowledge. Um, they actually work independently. So they're all just work for themselves. So self-employed. Um, but that being said, on the really big cases you work on, you will have probably a selection of barristers working with you, normally two or three um, at different levels of seniority. Um, and they actually work as a team, even though they are individuals in themselves. Um, and as I mentioned, predominantly, they do the contentious work. That's their skill set. They stand up in court and they can argue. But because they do have some specialist knowledge, occasionally they will advise uh, on non-contentious work. Um, for example, um, you have some barristers who are, are tax barristers and they will know lots about that area of law. So they can advise um, on a deal where, uh, for example, a company is being sold and, and they want some specialist tax advice. Um, so just looking at routes into law for those who are interested before I talk on to about go on to talk about my route. Um, it's very uh, straightforward, actually. So uh, imagine lots of the people who signed into this are, are still, well, I, I assume still Radley or, or, or other schools at the similar level up to 18. So um, might be or may not be thinking about what they do in the future. And the great thing about law is you don't have to study law at any stage at school or university to be able to go into a career of law. Now, as you'll see, there are two routes. So if you do study, you know, if you really want to study law um, and it's a very good degree, uh, you can go uh, study um, your law degree at university and then you go as a barrister, as it says on the left hand side there, you go straight into your barrister's training course, uh, the BTC. Um, this is essentially a year long course where you get specialist training from uh, usually occasionally practicing barristers, but usually sort of retired barristers who've gone into teaching um, and they will give you the relevant skills that you need to be able to go. Now, uh, and then you go, you get called to the bar, which is effectively your, um, your final exam before you um, finish your law school stage. You do a pupillage, which is sort of a, a two year long work experience. And at the end, you qualify and hopefully get a job within the chambers. Now, if you don't do law, and this, this accounts for anyone, if you want to be a barrister or a solicitor, you have to do a one-year conversion course, uh, which is called the Graduate Diploma in Law. Now, effectively, in this one year, they take a non-law graduate and they turn them into a sort of a similar standard and level as someone who's done three years of law. Now, obviously, that sounds pretty uh, tough, putting three years into to one year. And just to, re uh, just to state now, that's not what actually happens. They effectively take the key modules that you would study on a law degree and cram it into one year. So you don't touch on a lot of the sort of um, uh, ethics behind law or um, you don't dive really into the uh, sort of the, the academia behind um, case law and precedent and, and all the sort of stuff that you might pick up when you start. Um, Having, I'm a, a as, as Caroline said, a, a non-law graduate, so I had to do the GDL. And whilst it was a very tough year, um, I don't think, having come out the other side, you lose anything from not doing law at university and going to career of law. So just to um, compare that to if you go down the solicitor route, um, here, non-law degree, again, you study the GDL and then you come out the other side. And there's a difference, your second year or your first year post-law uh, degree at university uh, is something called the legal practice course. Um, but actually, uh, I had to quickly check this before I put these slides together because that is about to change and you're about to, it's about to change to the solicitor's qualifying exam. Um, now, unfortunately, I don't know too much about that, but I've heard rumblings that it's basically the same course. Um, just slightly um, updated for, for modern day times. Um, so that again is either a six month or a one year course, depending on um, whether you've got a training contract or not, which I'll come on to. Um, and then once you've done that, you then start your training contract. Now a training contract for a solicitor is a two year uh, work experience, so to speak, um, with a law firm. Usually within that you do rotations around different departments. So you get a different experience as to the different areas of law and after your two years you then qualify as a solicitor or going back to the barrister you qualify as a barrister so hopefully that whirlwind has kind of given you a bit of an understanding as to the two routes to go down if you want to um, pursue a law career in, in England and Wales um, 
for those who are wondering why I keep saying England Wales, as I mentioned at the start, that's the jurisdiction. If you're in Ireland or Scotland, um, it's slightly different, uh, same as if you were in the US or France or, or any of those um, different jurisdictions. They just have slightly, um, well, obviously they've got different laws, but they have slightly different ways of, of qualifying. So moving on to sort of talking about my journey. So, and I think this is probably the main reason for this chat now is just to give you some understanding how I've gone from leaving Radley to where I am now. And as I mentioned before, there was a few blips along the way. Um, I haven't sort of followed that straight route in as, as my slides before have shown. So just to run you through it, um, I left Radley in, in 2010. Um, I had a year out where I did some some sort of you know usual gap year work and then a bit of traveling down to Australia uh, to watch the ashes and then and then on from there, which was great fun. I then started at Durham University in 2011 studying economics. Uh, that was a three-year course. Um, and whilst I was there, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, I studied economics because I enjoyed it at uh, Radley. I thought I needed to do a good degree, but I had no idea. Um, apart from you know further afield what I wanted to do so I thought economics was a great grounding and it's something you can apply to everything and whilst I was at Durham I started to think about career paths I wanted to do and obviously one of the the ones I thought about with an economics degree was finance um, and I started looking into that and actually I wasn't that interested in it I then thought about doing sports marketing did some more experience in sports marketing again realized as much as I love my sport it wasn't for me and then it was sort of a, a chance encounter with a friend who who told me to consider law um, that I started to really look into it. And one of the best bits of advice I was given is, and you know, for anyone who's considering a career is, and, and not sure what they want to do now is one, don't rush it. You've got plenty of time, especially in this day and age where people can move around careers. But the second one was that in every deal that's done, you need an accountant and a lawyer. And whilst I wasn't sure whether I wanted to be an accountant, my brother was an accountant. Um, I thought it was a bit boring, if I'm honest, from listening to his life. Uh, so I veered into to law. And in some respects, I was, I was very lucky that I've, I've sort of stumbled into an area that I actually really enjoy. And in others, it's just dumb luck, really. Um, so having sort of spent some time at university getting to uh, know some people and, and talk to some people, I, I put together some work experience and decided I want to go and do law. So I applied to do my GDL, my conversion course, and, and I did that for a year in 2014 to 15. Um, and whilst I was on that, I was applying for training contracts at different law firms. Now, I probably sent out close to 50 applications over the course of two years to law firms. Um, I think probably about 25 of those were just completely wrong because I didn't understand the process that goes into applying to law firms and the sort of game you have to play. And so hopefully we can cover a bit of that today. On, I know it's a long way off for, for a lot of people, but it is an incredibly competitive process, but there are some certain things you can do that can really help. But it took me a bit of time uh, to really get my straps and get my applications up to the stand they should be. And I think a lot of that has to do because I took a long time to settle on law as my uh, career that I wanted to do. Um, so for those on this call, it's great that you're considering it um, or after this, you might completely disregard it because of what I've said. No, uh, no hard feelings if that's the case. Um, so like I said, I got to the end of my GDL and I didn't have a training contract yet. So I took the decision to have a year out in between my law studies and I went and became a paralegal at Baker McKenzie Law Firm in London in their intellectual property team. Now, for those who are wondering what a paralegal is, um, if you watch Suits, it's what Meghan Markle uh, was uh, and it's nothing like that in real life it's essentially you are a, a an assistant to the lawyers within a department um, and it's a great great job if you want to get really good experience post-university for a career in law um, it doesn't come with all the pressure of being a lawyer you can take on as much or as little as you want until you feel confident to and it gives you an amazing exposure to the inner workings of a law firm uh, and for me, I found that incredibly useful, especially when it came to doing my uh, applications. Uh, it also helped that Baker McKenzie is renowned for being one of the top uh, intellectual property teams in the world. Um, they uh, have clients uh, such as Facebook, Google, um, Twitter, etc. Um, I appreciate a few of them are all amalgamated now, so they're all one company. But so that really helped um, me, I didn't actually realize that when I applied to it. So um, I had to quickly uh, realize, you know, do my research before my interview. 
And whilst I was on my, whilst I was doing my paralegal uh, in 2015, I managed to get a vacation scheme at Simmons and Simmons. Now, a vacation scheme is a weeks long interview effectively at a law firm. You go in for five days, you get embedded into a department, and they effectively give you uh, talks, pieces of work, events to attend, sort of side interviews to do, and and, and by this process, they try to work out whether they want to employ you or not. Um, they are. They do say that it's a two-way thing where you're supposed to interview the firm and they're supposed to interview you. But um, in all honesty, it's more of a one-week interview for you. Um, so I managed to get onto the Simmons and Simmons one uh, in 2015, and on the back of that, I secured my training contract. Um, so following that, uh, 2016, I went on to do my legal practice course, which is the one-year uh, solicitors course, um, and then I started uh, my training contract with Simmons and Simmons in March 2018. As I mentioned, a training contract is two years. Um, and at Simmons and Simmons, we do four rotations. Um, so my rotations were I was in the banking department. So predominantly the work there is uh, putting together loans or financing agreements. Um, I then went into dispute resolution, which is where I'm now uh, within the insurance and construction team. Um, I then sat in the corporate team, which looks at uh, M&A, uh, asset management uh, and funds type work. And then I did a secondment where I uh, essentially what the firm do is they send you out to one of their clients um, for six months and you sit within their legal team uh, and help there. So I went to NatWest Markets, um, which is the invest investment bank side of uh, NatWest that you see on the high street. And then in March 2020, um, I qualified into the insurance and construction team at Simmons and Simmons uh, and then COVID came. So been an interesting first year um, for me but um, that is my route into law um, so yeah Caroline I think we've got a few few questions that you wanted to ask is that right so yeah just a couple of questions um, from me I'm interested to know what you think the characteristics or qualities are um, that you need to be a lawyer uh, so sure that makes a good lawyer uh, well, I, I don't know how many of these I have, but I'll, I'll give you the ones that you're sort of told um, that you need. Um, so the first one, and, and whenever you apply to a law firm or when you're within a law firm, the one that always gets uh, thrown at you and always you're sort of it's reiterated to you nonstop is attention to detail. Now, what we do as lawyers is um, effectively uh, we are there to help our clients achieve what they have already decided they want to achieve. Um, so if I use the example is if, if you're a, an entrepreneur and you set up your own business and you want to sell it, you've probably already made the decision that you want to sell your business and you probably agreed a price with the person you're going to sell it to. Now, when the where lawyers come in is they make sure that they take what you've agreed and what you want to achieve and they make it into a legally binding um, contract for sale essentially um, so what you need to do is make sure that you cover everything so that at the end of the deal when your client sells their company for example uh, you haven't missed anything you haven't suddenly gone oh we didn't think about the fact that you've got so, you know four people who work for you we haven't thought about their contracts and what they're going to do or, or, or anything like that or we haven't spotted a, something that if we don't if you didn't know existed you might not sell the company etc so the first thing is attention to detail. Um, and it, like I say, it gets boring how often you hear it. Um, it's something you hear no matter how senior you get within your career. Um, and it's something you just got to constantly work at. So if you are worried about your attention to detail, do not worry. It gets drilled into you. And um, it's, it's one of those things that you just got to keep working at. The next one is uh, commercial awareness. Again, a real key word with any interview, no matter what sort of um, career you want to go into. Um, but especially within law, because despite the fact that you're there to provide legal advice, you also needed to provide your client with commercial advice because all of your legal decisions will be based within a commercial um, decision. Now, for those who are wondering what the hell is commercial awareness, as, as, as I was very much when I left Radley, it's essentially knowing what the hell is going on in the world that you, we all live in. Um, and the majority of it, they say, oh, read the Financial Times. But I mean, that's just a real gimmicky answer as well. So commercial awareness is effectively knowing that if you act for um, 
let's use uh, you know man united let's say you out for them it's knowing the the sort of football world world commercially in knowing that for example nike are going to sponsor this team adidas are going to sponsor this team puma are going down the drain and they've lost loads of teams so they're going to lose a load of money um to knowing that the fa are going to bring in a new regulation around you're not able to high five each other after a, a goal um to uh things such as um uh i'm just trying to think of a few others here uh the other one is you know if you work for a rugby team for example you might have a look at what's going on at the moment with concussion so it, it's kind of just knowing the story around the background and most people have sort of a commercial awareness in other areas of life you know if you support uh you know sorry to to bang on a bit of sports analogy but if you support a team you know who they might be about to sign in the summer when their coach is going to be sacked whether they're going to finish in the, the the top four of the league it's that awareness but within a business world so it's the sort of holistic approach and that is basically commercial awareness and how you build that is essentially just taking an interest in the area um and so it is reading and um that's why most people say the financial times um but that is not the only place you can go there are lots of uh, really good places starting with you know the bbc website just go on their business page and have a browse to reading uh, a good newspaper so maybe stay away from the sun it probably won't give you too much but keep to maybe the times or something like that um and through to the financial times but also you know uh, if people are on twitter you can use some great um if you create your account well, you can follow some really good journalists and, and get some some information there to sort of law, bring it back to a law context, law specific uh, publications that you can use. Um, so that's a really good way to, to build your personal awareness. I suppose the third one is just having a bit of an analytical side. So uh, like, uh, you know, um, like to problem solve, uh, you know, enjoy the challenge of going through information working through uh, the rubbish to come to a good solid uh position uh and and just being able to sort of get to the key facts they are the key uh the key skills you need um as you know if you're going to give very good advice and and it comes with practice it and and when you go through your law degree or you have to do the conversion course and then through the lpc um that is what they will instill in you and they will teach you skills um but if you have it now it's uh, it's a great thing to have that's brilliant charlie we've actually got a lot of um great questions coming through on the chat now mr pullen wanted to know in your storytelling about your uh, paralegal application what was it in the end that made your um, application stand out do you think it's a very good question um i think within uh if you you know with it with every job you have to go for now you you know everyone's got really good academics um so the fact that you've got straight a's or or two a's and a b or, or whatever it may be it's sort of you should everyone should strive for those but everyone should remember that uh, they are sort of the the standard unfortunately where we the world we live in now so you do need to distinguish yourself um now i'd like to say that it was my work experience or that it was um you know, as I say, my uh, academic results or my sporting interests, but actually it is a slightly odd one. But um, when I was at uh, law school, I uh, became a professional babysitter, which um, to the great joy of my friends gave me a lot of um, a lot of chat about that. But um, I actually put that down on my CV because I put that and the fact that I um, was a darts player at university as well. Um, and they were funny enough, the, the things that made me stand out. <laughs> um despite the fact that they're probably useless for my career um and uh, in my baker mckenzie interview um i was email i was interviewed by a, a female partner who had two young children and she saw it and she was like tell me about this and i fortunately had a good a couple of good uh, anecdotes that i um i decided to tell her uh, one involved um changing a, a nappy which i'd never done before um and she was i think quite shocked um that i'd done that um but she seemed to remember it because three months into the job, uh, we were walking uh, fr from a meeting together and um, she asked me to tell another partner about the story. Um, so I suppose the moral of that story is, you know, try and make your CV as colourful and, and, well, sorry, try and make it the gold standard. So really good academics, good experience as you can. Um, but then don't be afraid to throw in a few interests in the air. The reason I mentioned the darts one is because actually in another interview, I 
got asked um, by a partner about my darts career at university, which was very fleeting to say the least. But we then had a half an hour chat about darts, um, which was a lot more interesting and easy to talk about than um, you know, how to structure a deal or what I thought about the world, the financial world at that moment in time. Um, so I suppose that probably wasn't the answer that everyone was looking for. But um, I suppose, it, you know, make sure you, you know, people will all, will have good grades, they'll have good experience. So, you know, don't go over the top. I wouldn't say put in every colourful thing you do, but don't be afraid to throw in a couple of little gems in there because at the end of the day, people will be interviewing hundreds if not thousands of people for for positions um within law and if they can have a conversation about something that's not tell me about why you studied x at university or why you did this experience then you're going to be the better for it no absolutely people want to see humanity and connect with real people not robots so i think that's a, a really good point so um, another question here you mentioned the difference between being a solicitor and a barrister but what about other areas of work in law, such as consultancy, especially with regards to qualifications? Can you comment on that? Uh, well, um, consultancy, I'm just trying to um, understand. So I think uh, um, my understanding of consultants is that they're, they're not within law. Um, I do have a few mates who are consultants and they would normally be based um, sort of from an advisory role um, outside of that. They won't be providing the legal advice um that uh the lawyer will provide on a deal they might um you know provide advice to, your, to the clients on how to roll out a product if that's what they're doing or how to once they bought a business how they can then um, jump start it and, and follow it into to their business or integrate it with their business etc um but in terms of within law there aren't consultants um so to speak, uh, doing the legal work. You might, as I say, you might have interaction with consultants. For example, if you're doing a real estate transaction, you might have a consultant that is a structural engineering expert who will deal with that side of um, the sort of uh, the deal. But in the day-to-day -day, uh, legal aspects will be dealt with by a solicitor um, and then a barrister will advise if that's needed and then will advise on the contentious work. Um, if that's what the question means, okay. I, that's what I got. Thank you. Well, um, the person who wrote the question, if you want to, um, if you want to elucidate on that further, then then let us know. Um, another one here: Is there a significant difference for the employer in terms of having a degree in jurisprudence or having a conversion from another course? No. Simple answer: No. Uh, I work with uh, probably fifty-fifty split. Um, I didn't. As I say, I didn't do law, um, and I would be—I would say—unless you have a real desire to do law, don't do a law degree. Um, and that's just my opinion. So please don't tell from me. But I would just say that it's—it's it's, as I mentioned, it's not vitally important. Um, it doesn't hold you back at all. Um, I think if you really want to get into the academia of law, then maybe do a law degree. I think that's. Um, that's one thing. But it, it, once you've done the conversion course in your LPC, everyone's at the same level. Um, you've probably just had a bit more fun at university, if I'm honest, because law degrees are quite intense. But that's just me speaking from my experience of doing economics. Um, I do, like I say, I work with probably 50% uh, uh, law graduates and 50% not. And I don't think you could probably tell the difference between uh, either of them. So it's very much a personal choice for um, whoever's making that decision. Um, but in terms of employers, no, not at all. Um, and that is actually something that they will tell you uh, and they, they try to, to sort of make sure that's the case. Um, at the end of the day, they want good lawyers, whether you've studied law or not. Okay, thank you. Um, another question here. Those, the most, do most people who do the GDL already have a training contract or do people do it speculatively? Good question. Um, it's a mixture. It really is a mixture. I didn't have a training contract um, and actually I was in a class with no one who did. Uh, most do. I think the big thing to say is it, it's not, um, how do I put this, uh, the GDL and the LPC are expensive courses to do, especially after university. So it is a big financial commitment. Um, and if you have a training contract, the, your law firm will pay for you to go through those two two years. 
um, I was fortunate that I was able to, to fund myself through um, and then got the training contract so didn't have to pay for the second year. So it is very much a, a sort of personal decision. Some law firms will uh, retrospectively pay for your year. Um, so if you get a training contract, they will back pay you for your fees for that year. So that's, that's a good one. Um, so it really is um, a decision for, for the person who, who's taking it as to, to whether or not um, they want to, to take that on. Um, obviously, I appreciate some won't be in the same position that I was in. Um, but, you know, as I say, you can, you, some firms will pay you back um, and others um, unfortunately don't, but it doesn't hold you back in any sense. If, you know, if you, even if you, um, you don't go and do the GDL, you can still apply for training contracts having finished university. Um, you know, if you're doing work experience elsewhere or you, you're working another job, um, whatever that may be, it won't hold you back from applying for a training contract and then just starting the year after, for example. Great, thank you. Um, we've got someone here who's looking for the uh, inside track, um, which is probably useful for all, of, for all of the students. My sister, who is at Durham, is going through applying for summer vacation schemes at the moment and has to do a job simulation and behaviour test for Simmons and Simmons tonight. <laughs> do you have any tips? Um, uh, well... I I have never heard of a job simulation and behavioural test at Simmons and Simmons, um, so I can't I can't give you any tips. Uh, I'm really sorry. Um, the only thing I'd say is that Simmons and Simmons is a great firm. Uh, they love people who went to Durham as well, so there's a tick in the box there. But apart from that, uh, no, sorry, I, I I haven't heard that they were doing that. I imagine that's very much a COVID new new thing. Um, I think you, you know there are several skills that you need to be a lawyer. We've touched on a few of them, but one of them is especially going to solicitors is being a bit of a team player um, and being able to sort of, and a hard worker. Um, so if you tell your sister to uh, think about those two things, uh, then she should be, she should be okay. Um, unfortunately with applications to law firms, because you get so many people applying, you do have to do some of these quite frankly, ridiculous tests where you have to do uh, verbal reasoning, non-verbal reasoning, shapes tests, um, video interviews where you just video yourself um, but it's it's because they can't interview all 2,000 people going for 20 spots um, so be prepared for that um, I would just say that all you can do is google um, the same tests look to see if there's anything else on on the internet as to to these tests and and, and just um, prepare as best you can yeah I remember when we spoke previously you said one of the most important things was to keep going and not let I mean, be resilient really and not let um you know rejection get you down because it is quite hard it's quite tough out there absolutely uh what non non-law degrees do you recommend for a career in law good question other than economics uh <laughs> um well the, the great thing is, is you can do anything and then go into law so um i would say that there are it depends what you want to get out of your time. At, if you, so if you decide not to do law, it really depends on what you want to get out of your time at university. If you want to study a real passion subject of yours, then go for it. Uh, my sister's actually uh, a lawyer. She's older than me, but I say she copied me coming to law. But she did history of art, um, which is completely sort of different to law. Um, but, you know, that's what she loved. And she did that at Leeds and, and had a great time. Um, lots of uh, people who do law end up coming from history english they're sort of two quite typical ones um there are quite a lot of scientists who end up in law and particularly they they like going into intellectual property um because of their sort of scientific background um as you know this especially this time of the world of covid and medical health um uh, you know and, and, and medical devices and and and, and health uh, advances meaning that we have these vaccines and different drugs and etc coming out to sort of help with covid it's uh, an intellectual property team's dream to have all those because they are the people who will put in place the protections uh, for the uh, uh the recipes that these drug companies cook up um so a lot of scientists so people who've done biology chemistry um physics they'll they'll go into that that type of law um but in terms of what to recommend, like I say, because you do the conversion course, it's it's completely up to you. 
Um, I think the only advice I'd say is if you are unsure on what you want to do in any career, I'd say make sure you do a solid degree at a good university um, because I think that's the best way to cover your bases. Um, if you know what you want to do, um, whether that be history of art to English to economics to law, then you might be able to, you know, and you're really certain on that and you're certain your career path, then that's when you consider going to the best place for that uh, subject in terms of university. Um, but if you're unsure, you know, I, I would definitely say, you know, pick a solid degree at a good university uh, as you can, and that's the best way um, to cover it. Great. I've got, I've got a couple more questions here, um, which I'm going to combine, actually. The first one's hopefully quite a brief answer. Where did you do your GDL? And the second is, at what point in the process of becoming a lawyer are you given the choice of what area of law that you want to specialise in? Good, good questions. Uh, so I did the GDL at the University of Law in Bloomsbury uh, in London. Um, there are lots of places around the country you can do the GDL. Um, because I didn't have a training contract, I was able to choose. Uh, if you do have a training contract, a lot of firms will dictate that you have to do it at a certain um, centre. Uh, and usually they're, they're probably, if it's a London law firm, it'll be in London. That being said, I think if you do have a reason, so if you're, if you're based in uh, you know, Bristol or, or, or sort of towards Leeds or, or anywhere like that, you, you might be able to sort of say, look, you know, home's there. I'd rather you know, live with my parents or, or rent a place there than rent in London because um, obviously London's a very expensive place to live. Um, but usually your firm will, will dictate where you go. But because I didn't have one, I did um, University of Law in Bloomsbury. Um, and then the second question, at what point in the process um, do you get a choice uh, to specialise? Um, so you essentially, you do your, your two-year training contract and at the end of that, you qualify. Now, there are two stages. So if you, once you finish your two years of training, you qualify no matter whether you uh, stay in law or not. Um, that's just the way it, it works. Um, in terms of when you get a choice to specialise, uh, it's at that stage. Um, and usually that's because you apply for a job within the area of law you want to work in and therefore the sort of team that you want, you want to go into. Um, essentially, what happened to me was I did my first six-month rotation in banking uh, at Simmons. I enjoyed it, but I wasn't that sure about it. I then went into the dispute resolution team within the insurance and construction uh, sector. And that's where I really sort of, I, I didn't think I was going to enjoy contentious work. Um, I was slightly annoyed to be put into it, if I'm honest. Um, and as it turns out, it's the area I've qualified into. And I absolutely, um, I, I, you know, I'm pretty, I, I do love what I do, which is, um, I never thought I'd say that really, but there we go. Um, so, and it was at that stage that I was like, this is what I want to do. But obviously you still have to do your other rotations. So I think that the answer is you make your final decision at the end of your two years, but you can start to uh, sculpt that choice as soon as you arrive at the firm. Now, you know, if you've got a, a passion for financial products or, or employment law, or you just love tax, um, because you know everyone everyone does um, then you can get into your law firm and you can speak with your graduate recruitment uh, and development team within your law firm and say look you know I'm really interested in this area of law I would love to do a seat in it so you can start making moves as soon as you arrive um, and like I say most most law firms will do four rotations so you have basically four opportunities to try and find something you enjoy now if you get to the end of it and you have your sort of thinking, this is not for me or I haven't found anywhere, you can still make a choice to go and qualify into another area of law. Um, because one of the good things is, is that the English law firms are renowned for their training. So as long as you uh, train at an English firm, uh, you'll be guaranteed to be in a really good position for when you get to the end of your training contract, when you are deciding what area of law you want to go into, um, you can then make that decision, whether it be within the firm you are to an area you know about or outside of the firm to an area you don't know about. Um, so that's that's the sort of point. You sort of can start as soon as you start your career thinking about it, but when you actually finalise that, 
crystallize that choice, it will be sort of the end of your two years as a trainee uh, and your training contract. Brilliant, thank you. Um, now, I don't want to mention the COVID word, but I'm going to mention the COVID <laughs> word. Do you think that COVID will have a long-term impact on the way that law is conducted? Yes, that's a very well-worded question. Definitely on the way it will be conducted. Um, I think one of the, the big things is that law was very old school before uh, COVID came around. Um, people loved hard copy documents. Um, you, you were always doing things in person. Uh, obviously, um, court cases were always done in, in various court buildings around the UK. Um, and so what, and I'm sure everyone's aware of this because we're, we're doing this talk virtually, um, you know, what has happened is we've all been given a kick out the backside and, and told to get on with technology. So what we've seen is a, a, a large number of court cases be moved virtually, um, which has helped, uh, especially with the minor sort of um, claims that are out there. It's helped deal with those quicker because you don't have the sort of, uh, sort of effort of getting up, everyone going to the same building, and then the backlog that then comes with that, you can very much do it from home, dial in as and when, there's no travel time, et cetera. So I think that's been one of the big uh, changes in the conduct. And it's sort of thing where I can see a lot of the smaller claims going to a virtual trial, but you'll still have the, the main big sort of claims that people work on within a, um, a, a court building, for example, in front of judges um, uh, and with juries if you're on a criminal side. Um, and I suppose the other one is, is, and it sort of stems from this, is it's just the, the sort of, as I say, law was old school and we've been given this sort of kick to be, become a more modern outfit and, and everyone within the industry has. So you're kind of seeing a switch to uh, less um, time pouring over books within an office and late nights and all that sort of stuff to a more modern way of working. Um, and whilst I, I, I do think that an office will always be uh, needed for law firms, I think it's definitely become, an, you know, it's definitely got off its um, perch and, and become a better industry in terms of uh, work-life balance, which typically it was very bad at. And you do hear sort of horror stories of people working all nighters and, and I have done one of those and it's, it's not fun. Um, and now there's a little bit more of a sort of flexibility whereby, you know, if you, if you need to, you can work from home because everyone is contactable by, um, you know, Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams. Um, so I think that's the sort of two things that COVID have done in terms of how we conduct ourselves. We're still doing the same job, but it's, it's just given us a bit more of a flexibility and freedom to do them uh, not all in one place, uh, which I think has, has really helped. Um, and the other thing is, is it's just helped the older generation of lawyer who you know, has done their training on, um, you know, they, they were the people who would pour in the library over the books to then they would use dictation software where basically they read into a microphone and their secretary would type it out for them. You know, it's really kicked them in, into the modern era because we had before COVID, we have a bit of a divide between the younger workforce coming through who were tech savvy um, against the older um, generation of the workforce who who weren't able to do this sort of stuff and you were getting asked to do printing and and set this sort of stuff where it takes you know 10 seconds for them to do but by you know they spent a minute writing you an email and then it takes you a minute to work out what they're saying to then do it so it's it's helped efficiency from that side of you so that's been the big help of covid and i think it's the same for most industries is it's just given us all a bit of a a boost on the technology front yeah absolutely now, I have a question here from Mr. Pullen, a challenging, almost interview-like question. Mm. What do the, the next five years look like for you, Charlie? Uh, for me, God, um, well, fingers crossed, uh, keep uh, sort of uh, improving and, and going at my job. Um, within my firm, there are sort of uh, three different levels that I can reach before, uh, sorry, two different levels from where I am before reaching the sort of top-end partner, which is a long, long way off whether I get there or not. Um, so the next five years for me will probably be uh, along the lines of um, you sort of have to do your your um, your real hard graft in your first few years and as an associate within the department that you're in and you have to learn what you do, what your 
uh, sort of sector is um, because, as I say, I'd done six months before I started. And whilst you get to grips with the type of work you've got to do, there's so much within it that you just don't touch on. So your first couple of years, so I'm just coming out to one year qualified. Um, so your first two, three years, they're where you really put in the hard work and you, you learn your, your basics and you, you learn, uh, you hone your technique and, and, and you really go from there. Um, and then the next stage from that is, you know, hopefully in about three years time, you make the step up to a what's called a supervising associate. And at that level, you then start to manage uh, your own matters. So in my area, which is disputes, um, we deal with, as I mentioned earlier, uh, people having fights with each other. So as a supervising associate, you would run the day-to-day works of a, um, so I'm in the insurance team uh, and the construction team. So taking a construction case, you know, a builder builds something wrong and he, you know, and the person who's employed him sues him saying, you did this wrong. Um, and we represent the builder, we'd sort of run his defense and the day-to-day there's, there's lots of different steps you take during a claim before you get to court. So you'd be running the day-to-day um, activities on, on a matter like that. So that's the sort of the next stage and, and you do that for another three years and then you get to the next level, which is you get onto a managing associate, which is your route to partner. And then it's probably sort of three or four years after that before you can think about um, reaching the, the sort of the lower end of the top end. Um, and then you, you sort of build your practice um, within that. So yeah, the next five years probably looks like that. I, I hope that I'll be able to spend at least some of that time going uh, in-house. Um, and what that means is it's essentially a bit like I did with my succumbent as a trainee. So you, you spend a period of time within a client's legal team. Um, so for me, that'll probably be spending some time with an insurer such as AIG or um, QBE, sort of two quite well-known insurers. Um, and there you you sort of sit in their legal function and you deal with claims coming in. Um, so if someone has an insurance policy and they would like their insurer to pay for something that's gone wrong, um, you know, usually a claims handler will deal with the sort of um, pretty straightforward ones and anything that's got a little bit more of a, a technical as, um, aspect to it they would then get escalated to the legal team to review the documents and then go from there and if it's a really big claim you would then send that back to to the Simmons and, and use the sort of all the lawyers there to to work on the matter so hopefully maybe a nine month um, sort of stint in-house would, would be great for my experience but yeah for me that's probably the next five years which having said that sounds incredibly boring but um fingers crossed there are some interesting uh, cases within that, that that keeps it interesting well at least you've uh, got a plan i think that's a very positive thing i think um, i mean it's great that you've come back to talk to us today um i'm interested to know i mean it's great when someone from the network gives back and i'm interested to know how you use the radley network to help form your career choices yeah, sure. So um, I suppose this is kind of how I'm, I'm back here now uh, in some respects. Um, so I have used the Radley Network. Um, I actually, it was very helpful in me getting my career in law um, off the ground. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I sort of, I didn't get my training contract when I was on the GDL and I'd sent roughly about sort of 25 to 30 applications in that year. And I just hadn't had any success getting over the line. I've had interviews, I'd had find around stuff um but i just wasn't getting over the line um and actually i was fortunate that i knew another adlian who was about four or five years older than me um he was in a social um a guy called ed ford um who is now a senior associate at a law firm called travis smith um and he very kindly had a coffee with me um one day in london when i was on the gdl and he just kind of said to me look you know don't worry about it you'll be sat here in a year's time talking to me and being like, I don't know what I was worried about. And and then very kindly just gave me some really good advice on how to tailor my application on how to sort of stick at it. Um, you know, things to think about when I went for interviews, um, good ideas for, you know, once I'd finished the GDL, what experience I could get after that. One of which being going to become a paralegal. So, you know, I, I, I suppose that's how I kind of used the Radley network. And, you know, I reached out to, to people who were, were lawyers and then, you know, funny enough, there was a, a breakfast in London, uh, I think two years ago now, um, where I went along and attended and, and there was someone in a similar position that I was in when I was talking to Ed, um, you know, all those years ago who wanted a few uh, 
bits of advice that I tried to give him and hopefully it worked. Um, and we ended up actually uh, linking up for a coffee um, a few weeks later just to sort of run through a few things. Um, and he ended up on a VAT scheme at Simmons and Simmons. Um, so uh, that was all his work, not not mine. I can assure you that. But um, it was, you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing to be able to um, use the Radley network. And I think whilst, you know, I can give an example of how it's helped me get to where I am now I think it will be incredibly beneficial when um you get further on and just as a little you know um anecdote on networks um it does help to sort of keep in touch with people and 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 stay on top of it and funnily enough my boss a guy called James Pollock his best man was Simon Barlas who I believe is still a French teacher at Radley um and when he found this out um I think he was he asked me a few questions on on Mr. Barlas, and he'd been my sub tutor when I was in F Social for three years. Great man, um, and I think as soon as I said he was my French teacher as well, I sort of um, I found myself in a very sort of lucky position that it, he wasn't so he has a, a sort of a bit of a reputation for testing new trainees when they come in the department, and I immediately found myself in a bit of a, a, a better position. Um, so uh, you know that's the sort of thing you know the, the Radley network is a, is a great thing to use, even if it's not directly within law don't be afraid to, 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 to leverage it um, to help you. That's brilliant. Thank you. Charlie, that was incredibly informative, a great insight into the world of law for those who are considering that path. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your, no doubt, very busy day to come and talk to us. Before we go, I'd briefly like to tell you about the two other careers events that we are hosting this week. So on Wednesday, we have Tom Cornell, who's going to talk to you about his career as part of a global brand at JCB what it's like working for a global brand and the benefits of doing so. And on Friday, Jamie Campbell, producer of popular Netflix series Sex Education, will come to talk to us about a career in TV production. So thank you all so much for attending. We look forward to seeing you at our next Beyond Radley Careers talk. Thank you very much. And thank you, Charlie. No worries. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. Check our channels for the latest news and events from the Radley and Society.